Welcome to Expert Extra, a new feature of the Inside 254 podcast, where we sit down with an expert in a field to help us and you make sense of current events. We hope you enjoy it. Today, I'm sitting down with my dear friend, Suzanne Samples, and I want to thank you for agreeing to be interviewed for our podcast, my friend. Of course. Suzanne has brain cancer. She is also a type 1 diabetic since she I was like five. five, yep. right? I, I wanted to give her the opportunity to have some real talk about what it's like to live with brain cancer know that you're dying, you know, what's really helpful to her and what's really not because she's made some Facebook posts that I know and I love them because they're so you and they're so (laughs) honest and they're just like no bullshit. And that's, uh, I feel like you are, unfortunately, you are an expert now because you don't and you you said something to me on the way down here we're we're sitting in a, a hotel room together at Polly's island south carolina we for us we're at the beach i know we're at the beach we came to the beach for a couple of days and i'm like hey i'll interview you there <laughs> she was like fine <laughs> so but um you said to me yesterday on the way down here that you know when you after you got diagnosed and you got through everything um your treatments and stuff you started looking online for stories and all you could find were people who had been caregivers or people who were friends and family, but not really from the people with brain cancer themselves. That's correct. And so I wanted to give you a chance to share your perspective, your story, your knowledge to date, um, and help all of us understand how can we be better advocates? How can we be better friends? How can we be better people to help those who are going through something that is so devastating and so real and so um, awesome and I say awesome in the sort of giant magnitude way that kind of blows your mind like oh my god this is too big right yeah so thank you for talking to me of course and I'm gonna stop talking now (laughs) so I want to ask start by asking you a question let's get the baseline out of the way so you are 36 years old that's correct you are a woman. Yes. You identify. Yes. As a woman. And you, so you're also a type 1 diabetic. And my understanding, my very limited understanding of brain cancer is that it usually affects older Older men. men. That's correct. So this is sort of a rarity. Yes. You're in a rare situation. Can you tell us, let's start with, how did you find out that you had brain cancer? Yeah, um, brain cancer is one of those things you hear about in movies and TV shows, and it seems so Hollywood and strange and bizarre, and you never think, oh, one day I might have brain cancer. You might think, well, cancer is pretty prevalent. I might have some sort of cancer when I'm older, um, but I never expected to be 36 and have brain cancer. And so one of the weird things about brain cancer is that it's pretty symptomless most of the time. You hear a lot of people make jokes, oh, I have a headache, I might have brain cancer. So headaches are actually not that prevalent with people, I mean, with the type I have, you know, certain other kinds that might be a symptom, but I never had any headaches. I never had any vision loss, no hearing loss. A lot of people will have symptoms like that. The only symptom I had was my right leg was 
it felt fuzzy. I, I still had feeling in it, but I could tell something was a little off. My balance was slightly off. And, you know, I was playing roller derby and I was in the gym six days a week and I was perfectly healthy except for type 1 diabetes. But my blood pressure was fine. I never had any indication that something else was wrong until my foot started to feel funny. And I immediately thought, oh, that's diabetes neuropathy. I've had diabetes 31 years. It's just a given. It's going to happen. So I called my endocrinologist or my diabetes doctor. He said, yeah, keep an eye on it. Should be fine. Um, and then one morning, it was December 18th. I had just turned in my three final grades of the semester. And it was early in the morning. And I met with a friend. And we were talking. And I was up on a stool in a coffee shop. And all of a sudden, I thought I got a Charlie horse. And so it hurt badly enough, though. I told my friend, I think I'm having a Charlie horse because she could tell something was you know, going on. And my friend happened to be an EMT, which was... <laughs> well, that was convenient. Very convenient, was, yeah. I'm really glad she was there. Yeah, yeah. She is awesome. Her name is Feeny. I love her dearly. My leg started shaking. And then the seizure moved up my leg, up through my arm. I could speak the whole time, though. And I think that's another misconception we have about seizures. You're out, you know, cold, you can't talk, you can't speak. But I was talking the whole time. And then, you know, about after a couple of minutes, the seizure stopped. And then I lost complete feeling in my leg and my arm up to my shoulder. My face still worked fine. I showed no signs of facial paralysis and um, nothing like that. So my friend took me straight to the ER and I thought I had a stroke because it seemed like a stroke. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm so lucky I had a stroke because I'm obviously fine. My brain is okay. Like, strokes are really bad, but I had a little one. It was weird, you know, something strange happened, but now I'm okay. My feeling's gonna come back in my arm and my leg. Everything's gonna be fine. So that was the lie I told myself because it made me feel better. And next thing I know, they're putting me in a CT scan. And within 20 minutes, the, um, the ER doctor came back and said, there is a mass on your brain. The most shocking words I've ever heard in my life. And then he said, I'm transporting you to Winston-Salem, which is two hours away from where I live in Boone, North Carolina. And yeah, then I was in an ambulance two hours away to Winston-Salem, um, trying to coordinate everything with my friends and family. I have three pets I love dearly, trying to get them taken care of all the while telling people, hey, there's something weird in my brain. I don't know what it is yet, but something is there that does not belong. So I get to the hospital. I'm in their ER for a little while, and then they run an MRI. We have to wait hours. It took forever. Um, thank goodness I had, I think, six or seven, five or six, seven friends with me. So it was very nice to have them there. And, you know, they confirmed there was something, something in my brain, but I didn't know what. And... It turned out it was in the left frontal lobe of my brain, which is why my right side was affected. And I'm right side dominant, of course, so it was terrifying because I couldn't move my arm, my leg, nothing. But like I said, I could still speak. And I, I think there's also this misconception if something goes wrong with your brain, you can't talk. You're you know, totally gone. You can't speak. You can't form thoughts. You can't put together words. But that part of my brain wasn't affected. So I was very cognizant of exactly you know, how I felt, what was happening. Even though I didn't know exactly what it was, I knew what had happened. I wasn't confused. I wasn't, you know, startled really by anything that was going on. You know, I had full control of my brain. And so, of course, I'm thinking, that can't be right. <laughs> you know, that, that, like, no. no. Just fucking no, with me. That's weird. That can't be right. Um, 
Yeah, so do you want me to keep going yeah. with it? Okay, so then that was the 18th. And, of course, we're coming up on Christmas. My this birth- is December, December 18th, 2017. 2017, yeah. yeah. I turned 36 three days earlier, so it was birthday, Christmas, and then I'm in the middle of all of that. I was supposed to go home to see my family. They were expecting me that day. So after the MRI, you know, they confirmed, yes, there's something there, but I hadn't seen it yet. I didn't know what it was. And then I said, oh, guess what? You're having a craniotomy. We're taking whatever it is out of there. It is a mass. They were calling it a mass at that point or a tumor, but medical professionals mass was, I guess, the preferred word that Mm -hmm. they wanted to use. So I knew that much, but in my mind, oh, that's really, that's really crappy. That's bad, but they're going to get that out of there and I'm going to be fine. Um, And they assured me that it was likely I would regain usage of my arm and leg. So even though I still couldn't use either one yet, I had hope, okay, I'm going to be all right. You know, this is crazy. This is weird, but I'm going to make it. Um, So then they scheduled my surgery for either the 20th or the 22nd, but it was Christmas, you know, and so the 20th came and went, didn't have surgery. So it was the the 22nd when I actually had the surgery. And um, yeah, it took, I was, asleep during the surgery i know we talked about we talked about yeah because yeah. I, I actually asked her if if she was awake because i was thinking like you know on tv people having brain surgery in these shows they they sometimes they're awake and they gave you that they did actually give me the oh option God, that's actually yeah. something they really do i thought it was i good. was yeah very <laughs> surprised to myself they actually gave me the option of staying awake throughout the whole thing and i looked at the surgeon like he was insane just said no thank you i will not be doing any of that okay no. all right but, you know, he said, if you're awake, we can try to get you to move your leg and see what's working and what's not working. And at that point, I just kind of thought to myself, I don't, if it's not working, I don't want to know. Like, just continue on with your surgery and, yeah, figure the rest out later. Continue on, my good man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of stuff happened. I was on seizure medication then. I had a ton of IVs, and I still couldn't use my right arm and all the IVs. I think I had four in my left arm. And... So then I go have surgery. Uh, I mean, it took hours. And afterward, I woke up. The strange thing was I was in no pain the entire time. No pain. It was just weird. You know, everything just felt surreal and strange and weird. And there were so many people around me having all of these emotions. And I didn't have a single one. It was too much. I keep using the metaphor of I was a ship in the middle of a big storm. And it's kind of like my ship was on fire, but I just couldn't do anything about it. And everyone else was having you know a panic attack or freaking out or and I had a ton of support thank goodness but sometimes (laughs) you know it it got to me that everyone else had these emotions and I had none I just kind of knew I had to get through it and it wasn't even that I was sucking up emotions I just didn't have any it was too much it was too big I couldn't think about it it was just practical I had to get it done had to get the surgery over with so and that makes sense to me. You're yeah. really, you've always been a really practical person yeah, as long as right. I've known you. So yeah. strangely for a writer, I'm very practical. Yeah. It <laughs> doesn't happen very often, but, <laughs> but it's, you just have a really practical, like no nonsense way yeah. of going about life anyway. So yeah. that part of it, I, I'm not surprised to hear that that yeah. was your response. You're like, this is way too big. Let's just do it. Let's do get it, it done. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, I think having diabetes for so long really prepared me for that because I'd been in hospitals, I'd been around needles a lot. So I wasn't, I didn't feel scared necessarily. And I knew that the doctors were there to help me and the care team at Winston-Salem was amazing and very personable and would answer any question I had, you know, so I knew I was in good hands. But um, so the real problems though started when I woke up from surgery because doctors never promise you anything, but I was sort of under the impression that when I woke up, I'd be able to move again. This was just what I thought. 
because in my mind, you get the tumor out, everything goes back to normal. No, <laughs> it's not, no, no, not how it went at all. Not quite so, the trajectory of the narrative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really diverged from what I thought was going to happen. So I wake up from surgery, and at this point I've been in the hospital about a week, I guess, and then they send me back to the neurology unit. And then after that, I got sent to a rehab facility that's in the same hospital. So that's where the real work started. At this point, I don't know if it's cancer or not, but I am. So you still didn't know? No. And it's Christmas now. So, yeah. So I'm kind of being transferred. I think it was the day after Christmas or something like that. Yeah, I was transferred. And were you, were you, I mean, you know, you said you weren't really thinking about, were you worried at that point when they transferred you to rehab? Were you thinking like, why don't I know yet? No, uh, no, because I knew that it wasn't cancer. In my mind, I knew it was not cancer. I had 120% convinced myself it was a weird benign tumor. They got it out. I was done with it. Moving on. All right. I'll learn to walk again. I'll do all of these things you want me to do that I want to do. And yeah, and that's it. So in my mind, I was convinced it was absolutely not cancer. There is no way. Again, brain cancer is something you hear about on TV or a movie. Mm-hmm. You might have known one or two people kind of randomly who had it, but that's not something that happens to me or you or anyone I know, right? It's just a weird nebulous thing that you hear about in -hmm. in the movies, kind of. So I didn't have brain cancer. There was no way, right? No possible way. I was healthy besides the diabetes. I was in the gym all the time. I had great blood pressure. All of my blood work came back perfectly. I looked healthy. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, you were a derby girl. Right. You were like, derby. you were yeah. hardcore, you know, on yep. the, on the rank, like doing, yeah. Yeah. So of course, everything is fine. So everything you start rehab yeah. thinking, I got this, right? Yep. And you have this so really positive. Part, like, yeah. I'm doing it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. That sucks. I had brain surgery before Christmas, but you know what? Right. Life goes on. I'm mm-hmm. going to take it and I was going to say run with it, but at that point I couldn't well. do any running. So <laughs> okay. yeah, but I was going to go with it. Yeah. So I get to rehab. I start relearning how to walk. And I know I mentioned this to you in the car. They call it the rehab facility, but when I got there, it was a nursing home. So that was the most surreal thing for me. Um, And it's not to say that nursing homes are bad, but we think of nursing homes for really old people who can't take care of themselves and are never going to get there again. I mean, the rehab facility, the goal is to get you better. But I was in there with seven or eight really, really old men who had had either brain surgery or a stroke or something to that effect. Everyone's in a wheelchair, so we had that in common, but (laughs) I very quickly realized this is very much like a nursing home, and it felt so surreal at that point because surgery was over, you know, all of that was done, but then I kind of realized, oh, this is where it's going to get really, really weird, and yeah, and so had a lot of marriage proposals and <laughs> date proposals and that sort of thing. Not surprised by Which that was either. entertaining, but not my cup of tea, right? right? So, yeah, it was it was very surreal. And, and, you know, I also mentioned to you, once I got there, I was in rehab or doing physical, occupational, and speech therapy eight to four every single day. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That, I mean, it that sounds like, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. like you had a full time job yeah. of re- getting rehabilitated. I mean, yeah. I can't even, again, like, I'm, I'm even having a hard time wrapping my head around the idea of having to learn to walk yeah. again. Yeah. Yep. How, what was that like? It was, again, surreal. Um, I. Well, I had this conception of myself. I'm a roller derby skater. I'm in the gym all the time. 
I'm going to just get back up on my feet and start going. No big deal. And then again, I had in my head too, that someone told me, and I don't know if this is real or not, but someone told me, Oh, after surgery, everything will come back. That might not have ever happened, but in my head, that's what I thought. So, I mean, I noticed it was hard for me to walk, but I didn't realize how bad it was until they put a mirror in front of me. And that was absolutely devastating. And I couldn't look at myself because my right leg just drugged behind me when I tried to walk. In my head, it was working fine and I was walking. And my brain was saying, right leg move and nothing was happening, but I thought it was happening. So it was very strange. And they put the mirror in front of me and said, okay, you have to watch yourself. And I couldn't do it at first and then finally eventually I started after about a month you know when I was there I saw the mirror as a friend and not a foe and used it as a tool to you know watch myself and it was like being a dancer in front of a mirror you might not like what you see but then you can learn to adjust your body and do what it needs to do and so it was hard at first but then you know finally I realized I have to look in this mirror and see how bad it is so it'll get better at this point I still don't know I have cancer and I'm convinced it's just a weird benign tumor that was in my brain, strangely enough. Um, so you I'm, told me you switched right and left. Your brain like right, switched right and left on yeah. you for a while. When I woke up. That was de- crazy yeah, too. Yeah, it's like, crazy. Whoa. It's bizarre. So it depends on where your tumor is and yeah. where mine was. So when they took it out, I started writing backward. My letters looked correct as far as I could tell. <laughs> Again, I thought all of these things, but they looked great. So I wrote the alphabet was one of the first things I did when I, so my hand actually came back two days after surgery. Finally, yeah, my right hand, whole right side, right? So your right hand, yeah, my right hand started to come back. Mm -hmm. Not completely. My grip strength is actually still kind of not great on that side, but I could hold a pen. I don't know. I saw you hold a drink last night. I was was holding a drink. Yeah. Yeah. I could hold a drink. It's come that far. It's coming back. Yeah. (laughs) So of course I wanted to try to write because as a writer, one of the things I like to do was handwrite my flash fiction or short stories because I think there was something organic about that process because then I would transfer it to the computer and kind of use that as an editing tool and revision tool. Like, oh, I wrote that on paper, but that doesn't, okay, now that I see it, it doesn't sound right. So immediately I wanted to see if I could actually physically handwrite something. And so I did the alphabet in print and I wrote all of the letters correctly, except that I did it backwards. So it's hard to show on a podcast, but instead of starting left to right, I would go right to left. Yeah. 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 I think our listeners can sort they, of they fi- can figure visualize yeah. the idea yeah. if, if you write left to right yeah. and suddenly you're writing right to left. That's yeah. a little... It's very strange. It's backwards, yeah. right? It was backward, yeah. So, <laughs> And then I also had no idea which was my left hand and which was my right hand. So I remember my mom... Or I was looking at my mom and she had something like a shirt in her left hand and a shirt in her right hand. And I said, I want the one in your right hand. And she holds it up. And like, no, 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 your right hand. And I was kind of speaking to her as if she was crazy. No, I want the one in your right hand. Why are you lifting your left hand? And she looked at me and said, no, no, okay, (laughs) you flipped it, you know? And so that was weird. And to this day, I still have trouble with that. Really? Yeah. You know, that's like, that's not something I asked you yesterday. I wondered, has it come back or did it stay flipped? It stays flipped a lot. Is it or, kind of like the mirror thing where you have to remind yourself yeah, yeah, like, which yeah. one is which? Which is wow. which, yeah. And okay. So if you ask me right now, what side of the street is your apartment on? Yeah. I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. You know, you said, oh, you're coming from the north entrance. What side? You know, a couple of years ago, it would have been easy for me to figure that out. Now I can't see it. I can see it on both sides and I couldn't tell you which side of the road it's on. Okay. Just strange things yeah. like that kind of flip or I'm not sure. I'm mm-hmm. kind of, or I don't trust myself with it yet. Um, yeah. 
So that's been pretty weird. That's weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's an adjustment. Uh-huh. So, okay. So you're there. You're looking at yourself. You're going, oh, my fucking God. What is this? Right? right. Like, my, yeah. leg, I, my legs aren't doing what yeah. I think they're doing. And and how, I mean, how long did it take you to be able to, how long did it take? Yeah, I think I mentioned yesterday to you in the car, they, at the rehab facility and at the hospital, they would track the amount of feet I walked every day. And I started out. I mean, I couldn't stand at first. And so they had me on a bike and doing all these things and I still couldn't move my leg. And so, but they have all of these cool tools and toys that they use to, you know, kind of help you along. So, you know, I would try to take a step and one day I couldn't step at all. But then the next day, it was the strangest thing. One day or one moment, it would just flip. My therapist would have me, you know, try to take a step, couldn't do it. Try again, couldn't do it. Try again, couldn't do it. Try again, couldn't do it without any reason without any explanation Hmm. all within the span of two minutes he would just keep saying try again try again and couldn't do it couldn't do it and then all of a sudden bam it would happen it was very very strange so you know he would have me i was in the wheelchair and then pushing a wheelchair yourself in a wheelchair is the hardest it's i don't mean to make light of it but it's so hard so that was more motivation to walk because your arms are just done you know it's so hard to use your arms to walk basically so was motivated to get out of the chair and then they put me with a walker but i was only allowed to do any sort of standing or walking in the presence of a nurse or therapist i could not try anything on my own they made very clear if i did that kind of thing that i would be stuck there longer and i would have to wait because there would be a chance i could fall and so they put me next to the nurse's station because what, didn't they trust you? They did not trust me. Because in the neurology unit, <laughs> Suzanne, I tried to do a couple g- of things that I shouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah. Did you give yeah. them reason not to trust you? I did give them you? a reason. <laughs> yeah. I did give them a reason. So they put me right beside of them. And I couldn't do anything. And they put alarms on your bed. If you put your feet on the floor, the alarm goes off. If you move too fast, the alarm, the alarm will go off. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of like, I mean, it sounded a lot like I've never been in prison, but it's, you know. You're very similar <laughs> you can see that's what you were thinking that's what i was like thinking yeah prison. yeah exactly <laughs> okay. yeah so anyway yeah so they would track the amount of feet i walked every day and one day would be two feet but then the next day might be 20 feet and then you know they would have me walk around the building and they would make all of these kind of situational apparatus to make sure that my foot was lifting because my foot was still dragging behind me and that's what was really causing me a hard time of walking so once they they put a little ace bandage around my foot and lifted it up never seen an ace bandage used by that before and as an english teacher it (laughs) blew my mind like wow that's so cool that is pretty cool that you can do that just a little yeah with a common little ace bandage. a little ace bandage helped me walk again yeah yeah and i had braces that would stabilize my leg and eventually like i said just out of the blue one day oh i I remember how to walk. I know how to do this. Wow. But it took, you know, it took a month to, to get there. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay. So now, at this point, do you know you have brain no, cancer? I still do okay. not know. Like, 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 I know. It's a long a whole, build up. There's a lot of time. Thank you, Christmas and yeah, New Year's. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so, and you're still thinking. Oh, I know. I, I don't, like, I know I don't have brain cancer. Right. For those who like the Myers-Briggs test, I'm an INFJ and we're known to be very intuitive. And I trusted that completely. My intuition has never failed me. I do not have brain cancer, so... Then what happened? I guess after New Year's, my mom... My mom was great through the whole thing. She skipped Christmas and left my poor dad home alone and came to be with me. And so we're sitting there one one night, and the surgeon comes in. 
and I'm happy to see him because I know he's bringing me good news and I am thrilled. I'm going to be told, you, you know, yeah, it was a weird tumor. We got it. You're great. In my mind, my blood work was good. And for some reason I kept thinking, well, if I had cancer, it would show up, show up in my blood work somehow. No, that's not, no. Okay. Not always the case I learned. So he starts talking and I'm still very pleased to see him. And my mom said that she knew immediately it was bad, but I am in this little bubble that I've created for myself of brain cancer is not a real thing. It's just something you see on TV. So then he says, unfortunately, and I was just like, wait, what? Stop. You know, wait, unfortunately, there's no unfortunately in this situation. Well, unfortunately, it was a glioblastoma, which is grade four brain cancer. And don't Google anything. <laughs> so they don't want you to don't Google, Google anything. <laughs> yeah. So I knew that it was bad. And then my reaction, though, I still hadn't cried yet. I just started shaking and I couldn't stop shaking. And he started talking about treatment and I couldn't do it. And so he said he was very, a very nice guy. And he said, OK, we'll talk more about this when you're ready. You're not ready. And I said, no, I'm not, no, I'm not ready. So, so even though like the the emotions, it's almost like your body was having that response. Yeah, I had a physical response even to it. You weren't yeah. you're not, like pitching a fit. No, but you I just were couldn't just stop shaking. Like, yeah the magnitude Mm -hmm. was just okay and I was shocked because I felt like I lied to myself and I always trusted myself and then suddenly I was wrong about that yeah that must have been hard to deal with I'm still in shock I I was gonna say you're still (laughs) and that's the thing right you're still you're still even though you're you're doing the stuff you're being practical you're you're making the moves you're you're handling everything you're still processing this aren't you right yep so now you know. And so then when did you find out about what your treatments op- treatment options were, what your what like what the additional information that you would need? Cuz eventually you had to have that conversation, right? right? Yeah. So <laughs> serendipitously we my mom and I ran into my surgeon in the hallway of the hospital. So the hospital in Winston-Salem Wake Forest Baptist is huge. It has its own zip code. It's such a big hospital. Well, does it? Yeah. So it was kind of an odd circumstance to run into him in the hallway. You know, you would never you'd think I will never see anyone who had anything to do with my surgery like in the hallway. But I made my mom wheel me to Starbucks nearly every day because that was sort of the one creature comfort that I could have and I was going to get it hell or high water i was gonna you know have some coffee every day or some tea or whatever i wanted so this was you were at the rehab facility yes but the rehab facility connects to the hospital so in an underground tunnel it's very strange yeah it's very strange so it was like your moment of escape yeah i had a little normalcy Uh have some starbucks yeah and it was (laughs) freezing so there was no outside time that was not an option so we go to starbucks and we run into my surgeon and he says is now a good time to talk And I was ready, well, as ready as I could have been for it. And he started explaining what kind of treatment I would need and told me that my other doctors would meet with me. So you don't ever just have a cancer doctor. You have a chemo doctor, a radiation doctor, a surgeon if you need surgery. So all of these people working together, a neurologist, um, and they all do a little bit of different stuff, a physical therapist, doctor. So I had a physical therapist and then a doctor who was a physical therapist. It was stuff that I just had no idea existed. Yeah. (laughs) So he told me what the treatment would be like. And at that point, I just kind of swallowed it and said, okay, all right, I guess that's what I have to do. I wasn't happy about it, (laughs) but I was going to do it. So yeah. And how many rounds of chemo radiation have you done at at this point? Because we're talking in, um, in june this is early june 2018 so about how many have you done at this point so i did radiation was 
I think I had 33 radiation treatments and they were Monday through Friday every single day as soon as I got home or out of the hospital. So the turnaround time was pretty short. I think I had a week of freedom and then it was back to getting Mm -hmm. radiation every day. And so radiation sort of this, I don't know, I felt like it was a mystical process. You, You go in and you're in there 20 minutes. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't cause any pain at the time. And then you go home. But I had to go every day and I had to go to Winston-Salem because my doctor, one of my, well, I guess all of them, they were not convinced that anywhere near me would have the appropriate equipment to handle brain cancer. And you live two hours from Winston-Salem. Yes. So, so my sister was... moved in with me, thank goodness, for a month. you couldn't drive at that point. No, I could not drive. Yeah, I was so not allowed was like, to and I could not. You were now suddenly reliant on your network yes to help get you to these essential treatments yeah. to you know f- get food to like all yeah. of the stuff i can't drive right? i'm still using a walker i'm walking but like at that point you're they weren't walker, trusting me enough yeah. to be without a walker at home by myself yeah and i went through a lot of convincing people that i could actually go back to my house not alone because my sister was going to move in with me for a short while but no one thought that was a good idea, but I just pushed and pushed and pushed until finally everyone said, okay, fine, you can go home. Was it because you missed your animal? Yes, of course I missed my, were, yeah, yeah. Were you still thinking you're going to get like normal life back? You're going to go back to being you? Were you I, at the, still in that mindset or were you still I knew to, I was going to be able to walk again, yeah. but at that point I knew that pretty, I mean, as sad as it is to say, I knew that my life was pretty much done, you know, like that was the beginning of the end for me when I found out it was cancer. And of course I Googled everything because when someone says, don't do something, don't touch that hot pan, you put your hand on it. Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the statistics were terrible. I also knew that my age and simply the fact that I was born a female helped me and I was in good shape. So I knew I'd be able to walk again, but I also had no idea. I knew the future was looking pretty bleak at that point. But I wasn't going to let that stop me from walking. And my surgeon made that very clear. Don't stop yeah. working on your walking because you're going to want that back. So, And you wanted to see your animals. And I wanted to see my animals. Yeah, of course. Animals. They were not had, happy. Yeah. You've, got, you've got two calico cats. Yes. Duffles and Prufrock. Yes. And you have a, a an adorable, I don't know what to call her, a mutt. Britney She's Spaniel a mutt. She looks like a Britney Spaniel. Yeah, a mutt. Named Gatsby. Yes. And they're all adorable. <laughs> so I understand why you would want yes. to know I want to bite. <laughs> okay. So now you know. Now you're having all these treatments. You did chemo too? Yes. Yeah, so I started what I called my first round of chemo with radiation. You had to take it um, two or a couple of hours before radiation started. But I was first put on a clinical trial. So there's all this kind of back and forth with my chemo and radiation. I ended up, I think, doing more treatment than I would have if I would have just stuck with a traditional method of chemo and radiation for brain cancer. And so what people don't know, I didn't know this, is that brain cancer, you take a pill for chemo, which is great because you don't have to have an IV. And I hate IV. I mean, who loves IVs? But um, the IV fluid won't break the blood-brain barrier, but this one pill will. Wow. So there are limited ways to that. treat brain cancer. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was put on a clinical trial that was also pill based, but, um, there was one other person in the trial I'd never met. I knew he was male. That's all I knew about him. And he was way ahead of me in the trial and things started going really badly for him because of the drug. They determined it was because of the new drug. Um, I'm still not sure if he survived. I don't know because they couldn't tell me, but they gave me the option to stay in the trial, but told me as many details as they could. And I decided to <laughs> peace out of the trial and say, okay, I'll just do the normal. 
I knew I was getting the drug too. It was in the state or the phase of you are getting the drug. We know everyone getting. Oh right, yeah. so you had you so you knew you I weren't knew getting, getting placebo. No, you were yeah. actually getting that. Okay. Yep. yep. Wow. Yep. So that was like nope. Nope. So I left that, but then at that minute I had to restart Chem- Timidar, which is the normal chemo for brain cancer. So, so that was your so that was your doctor's the first round of chemo. I called it the first round. He called it round zero. Okay. I didn't know this until okay. later. <laughs> No. Which very much confused me, but <laughs> yeah, so in my world, which I've, if you haven't picked up one yet, my world is a little bit different than the doctor's world sometimes, but um, I am on round three of chemo. In his world, I'm on round two because we started at round zero for him, but for me, that was one and then two and three, but you take 30 days of chemo with the radiation, but I had 33 because I was on that other, tri- you know, so we had to restart everything. And then um, after that, you take the chemo every three weeks or around that time. And they can kind of work with you if you're going on a vacation or something like that. But, and I'm going to be doing that until the doctor said maybe September, October. Okay. There's still a lot of, you know, a lot up in the air, but if my blood work comes back good, I will be doing it until September, October. And then just sort of practically speaking, that's where you are now, right? So you can, you're walking. Yes. You walk with a cane. Yes. And you have what most of your sensation because I saw you gripping that drink, so I know you yeah, got, yeah, you got yeah, some I have, grip yeah. strength back. Well, and the right weird, hand. the strange thing was <laughs> I didn't, it, I didn't necessarily lose sensation. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't move. So the doctors would tap my hand, and I could feel it, or they would say, "Close your eyes, and we're going to tap somewhere, and you tell me where you feel it." And I would tell them, and I was correct, but I just couldn't move it. Wow. And we don't think about this, but you know, I'm sitting here talking with my hand, my left hand, because it's such a natural thing to do. But we say we don't have to say left hand move, but when your brain is acting up, and you have a seizure, and the seizure was actually from um, the swelling and fluid from the tumor. So, so when, how long did you do? You still have seizures? I'm on a lot of seizure medication to prevent that. Yeah. Wow. I yeah, I had quite a few in the hospital, and but then once they got the medication figured out, yeah. Yeah, you're kind of good to go. Good to hitting, go. Hitting a plateau here yep. where you're yep. you're able to sort of function and get yeah. there. So uh, I just, let's let's move to, okay, so now you're living your life. Yeah. But you're not who you were. Right, exactly. So, because you told me you kind of, there was you before yes. brain cancer and now there's you now. Right. And you're a different person. You feel like, yeah. you feel like you're a different person. Absolutely, I do, yeah. And so... You know, now coming in and readjusting all the relationships that you have, all your friendships, all the people that you know now work, right? You're a you're a, a professor at a university there in North Carolina. And so now, obviously, you weren't teaching in the spring. Right. Yeah. Um, so now you're you're doing all these adjustments. And I'm sure people were coming out of the woodwork to, like, wish you well or thoughts and prayers right, and, right. and I'll, you know, help you and everything. So, I mean, what was, what was that like? And, and the thing is some of the, and I, I want to do some real talk here because I feel like you have the chance to really talk about what, what is helpful and what is not right. for yeah. someone going through this. If you have a, like if someone out there listening has a friend who's going through brain cancer or some other kind of cancer where you're, you're wondering like, well, how, how do I talk to them? What do I do? What can I say? How can I help? Yeah. Really? 
I, I feel like you've you've even taught me like this some of the sort of like the parameters of like right. you know despite your despite someone's discomfort like this is just true so yeah can you yeah talk absolutely. a little bit about that so I mean I have to say it's going to be different for every single person I was never afraid to tell people what I needed or wanted and someone actually remarked to me it's so good that you know how to ask for help well it never occurred to me that I shouldn't ask for help you know I needed help people should help me um I would help a person in need this is, you know, I have these people saying they support me. I'm going to ask you for help. So I never felt guilty about it or weird. And I think a lot of the times people who identify as women feel that. I'm not supposed to ask for help because I'm supposed to caretake and do, you know, all of these things. I had no, I had no problem asking for help. Yeah, so, but everyone's going to be different. And for some people, thoughts and prayers are what they need. That works for them. I knew immediately it did not work for me. And I think a lot of the people who would say, well, wishes or thoughts and prayers, they're all well-intentioned. It was never spiteful or weird or me, you know, they all wanted the best for me. And most of them were far away. So that was kind of what they had to offer, but it just really did not work for me. Um, it didn't help me. It just kind of made me feel weird inside a little bit. And so I started on Facebook because unfortunately that's the easiest medium to reach the most amount of people made these pretty public posts about what helped me and what didn't. And it was always different too, because I liked mail. I thought mail was great. I loved to get cards. I mean, I'm a writer, of course, you know, so I, it hurt me that I couldn't respond to people all the time, but it would always bring a smile to my face if, so, if someone sent a card. And I read an article online where um, a woman's husband was diagnosed and people were sending cards and he hated it. He couldn't stand it. He just thought it was the stupid, you know, the worst thing. I mean, not stupid, but not a, not a helpful thing. That helped me, but not him. Same type of cancer, but just different approaches, right? So, but then for the people close to me, I wanted really practical things. So I couldn't drive. And I live not in town, not too far away from the town of Boone, North Carolina, but I'm not in town. I'm not central to the grocery store or anything like that. So I needed people to go grocery shopping for me or pick things up for me and bring them over. And I was lucky to have people who did that for me. Um, I also needed help doing things like folding laundry, you know, cause I just little things that help you live your daily life. And my sister was with me for a long time, but then she had to leave. She's a stylist in New York city and the big city called her, called her back and she <laughs> had to go. I was very thankful that she helped me, but she had to leave. <laughs> And if anyone's out there with a sister, you know that maybe living with your sister is fun for a second. And I think we were both kind of tired of each other by the time it was time for her to go. But she was very helpful and did those little things for me and drove me to radiation every day. But then when she left, I had I live alone. I'm not married. I don't have a partner, you know. So it was me and my cats and Gatsby. And unfortunately, they can't go to the store for you or take you to physical therapy because in addition to all of this other stuff, I was still doing physical occupational and speech therapy. So yeah, it was a lot. So people started saying, local people started saying, I'll do anything. I remembered those people or I wrote them down. because my memory is kind of shot now, but so when I needed something, I asked those people. So most of the time it was a positive response. Um, you know, I have a lot of good friends who would come over and help me with dishes or laundry, things, things like that. But then the hardest thing for me was, I would need to go get an MRI two hours away. And people would say, well, I'll do anything. And then I would ask, oh, hey, do you, could you or anyone you know drive me to physical therapy, which was in Boone, or to get my MRI on Friday? And I would ask weeks in advance because I knew this stuff was coming, you know, and suddenly everyone was silent. 
and people work I understand that and I'm not anyone's priority but it was kind of don't ever say I'll do anything Anything. tell people what you can do and what you're capable of doing and then deliver on that promise and some people would even say oh I can take you and then respond a couple minutes later oh never mind and so then I'd have to start the whole process over yeah so so honesty is really important, obviously. Yeah. When you want to help somebody, just be honest about your own limitations yeah. and what you're capable of and available exactly. for. Right. Right. So you, you might want to say, I'll do anything, but that's not really it's what not you practical, mean yeah. when you look at your own circumstance, your family, right. your schedule, your work. Nobody can do anything. Right. It's, yeah. So be more realistic because it's kind of setting you up as the person with the cancer, setting you right. up to fail. Yeah. And that's not fair. No. It's not fair to anybody. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you are this super practical person, and you obviously you also like to have fun. So, yes. and I saw you actually post about this, and I I had talked to you about this beach trip prior to you posting about this, but I remember you did not that long ago. You were talking about how you know being you know distract you, have fun. Yeah. You like to go. I saw pictures of you with friends on a mountaintop. I guess right. you had driven yes. part of the way and walked. We drove most of the way. <laughs> yeah, it looked like we walked a long way, but, but yeah. But like to go out and to do things and go in antiquing and like right. do like have you know have have a life yeah. enjoy people and spend time with people and are you making are you're you're making an effort to see people right and do for things sure. yeah right? yeah definitely and i mean the majority of my headspace is always i'm dying soon i don't know the exact day i don't know the exact time but it's a certainty that glioblastoma that type of cancer the surgeon got most of the tumor. Now, of course, I'm in radiation and chemo to try to kill all the rest of the cells. And I've had no new tumors emerge. However, science tells us that they will come back. And part of the reason to bring it back to the beginning why you never hear stories of glioblastoma patients is because they're all dead. Or at that point, they're too sick to write or speak mm-hmm. or do anything like that. So their families do it for them or, mm-hmm. you know, in honor of them or their kind of their voice. But I knew it was inevitable, only a matter of time, you know, so I'm trying to fill my days with the people I love and things I want to do. And so, but my brain is always, I have cancer. I have the, you know, I have to think about these things because I'm going to die soon. What should my end of life process be? You know, if Mm. I could pick what would I want to do? And Mm. so I really value and treasure the moments when people make me forget. And it's not something that, that they think about doing, but I mean, I went out with my good friend, Julia, the other night and they brought another friend with them and I was sitting there laughing I think we were talking about something silly it was about Dr. Pepper knockoffs and how there's Dr. This and Dr. That but none of it really is Dr. Pepper and we were laughing and just kind of carrying on and I kind of sat back for a second and thought oh my god that was 10 minutes I didn't think about cancer and that was great because it didn't even cross my mind because we were just being silly and having a fun conversation and you can't really create those moments I think they just kind of happen right so but that could go for anyone with any sort of problem, depression, anxiety, or even diabetes or you know something like that. But it's good when I forget. It doesn't happen very often, but it's also not good, though, to deny it's happening. So there's a balance there. Right. Life's <laughs> all about, but we just had that yeah, conversation today at lunch. <laughs> Life's all about balance. All, all about, about balance. Right? So I, I can understand mm-hmm. why it would be valuable to you to have those moments unexpected, unplanned, just sort of in a moment where you realize you've actually forgotten your reality for a moment and just been in the moment and enjoyed. But yeah. at the same time, you know, I'm sure it's got to be hard with, um, I don't know if there's anybody, if there's people that you know, that you, you know, colleagues or friends or whatever, where it's, it's hard to you know, have a real conversation about what's really going on. Like, I don't know if you've, I see stuff on the internet a lot about like 
people saying, well, if you just think positive. Right, like, yeah. Science. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like positive thinking. I Like, to you, like, positive thinking, I think, probably got you really Slapped me in the face. Yeah, well, well it, also, it got me through like, rehab, but it also slapped me in the face because I thought, if I just think that I don't have a two or that I don't have cancer well, it's got, you know so there was a weird for me it's true. a very weird thing that happened there yeah yeah and you're you're still pretty positive I, yeah, mean, I mean you know given the reality of what you're trying to cope with and deal with and um you know I, even something practical like do you have plans for your pets right yeah yep you know and the hardest and thing the hardest things and you know coming up with a living will and yep. but uh, you know is there anything that you can help us understand about the best way to be there for someone um, who's going through something like what you're going through, through cancer, through brain cancer specifically. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly the best thing to do, I've had a few people who've done this. They've just asked me, let, tell me what you feel comfortable talking about. Tell me if you want to have fun or if you want to have a serious conversation and they, let me decide the path of where we're going with it. You know, some days I might need to have a serious conversation. Some days I might, I might need you to go to the grocery store with me and make sure I don't fall when I'm trying to, you know, get something off the, off the shelf. Um, other days I might want to go somewhere. So having people ask and just say, Hey, is it okay if we do this or we, I'll tell you yes or no. <laughs> and I think most people in my position will for, for sure. Because you know, well, I don't have much time left, so I need to do what I want to do, and I'm done letting people decide. I was always kind of like that anyway, I guess, but I'm you know, not going to let that. people decide that for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. were kind of like that anyway. Yeah, <laughs> well, like no big way. change there. <laughs> it's a good way. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Asking yeah. is always better than telling. You know, it's leaving the door open for me to kind of guide what's going, what's going to happen and what I'm comfortable with. And like I said, everyone is so different, so... The guy on the internet didn't want cards. I wanted cards, but people have to ask that. They can't just assume. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Let that person, let the person in your life do the directing. Yeah. And give them the chance to right guide the ship as it were. Yep. yep. Um, so is there anything, anything else you'd like to sort of share? Anybody you want to shout out to? And so many people. <laughs> how, how do you want us to remember you? I mean, that's such a difficult question. And to be honest, for your listeners, you asked me at lunch and I've been, you know, kind of pondering and thinking about it. Um, Definitely, I would want, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent, but, you know, everyone, when someone has cancer, one of the things you want to say is you're so strong. Uh, So John McCain has the same type of cancer that I do. And there have been a lot of articles about everyone tweeting him and just saying, you're so, you're a warrior, you're tough, you're strong, you're going to get through this. The reality is he's probably not going to get through it. I hate to say that I'm probably not going to get through it. No one's the exception to the rule. And people who've had glioblastoma for a long time and have survived have had multiple surgeries. I don't know how they afforded any of it. There's so many things that go on. So I hate to say this, but I don't necessarily want people to remember me as strong and brave. Anyone would be strong and brave if they had to be. And yeah, people might have a different attitude than I do, but you're just forced to be strong and brave. You don't have a choice in the matter. You know, you can either let it happen to you or try to live your the rest of your days and be as happy as you can about it. And so I would prefer if people remembered my writing, first of all. I mean, that's obviously important to me. And then um, to remember me as a teacher. And that's something we haven't really talked about, but... Um, so, you know, as a fellow professor, you've seen your number of student emails that are angry. 
nothing compared to the emails I got when I was finally checking email again and students emailing me and saying, you were supposed to teach my class. Where are you? Because I didn't come back to school in spring semester. And they weren't necessarily, they weren't mean, but they were just like, I signed up for this class because you were teaching it and now you are gone. Some were more along the lines of, are you okay? Others were just kind of, where are you? I needed you <laughs> and you disappeared. I signed up for this class because you said you were teaching it and now you just are gone. And yeah, that was difficult to deal with because teaching is so important to me, you know, and my students are so important to me and I really love them. And my department's been amazing, but they didn't necessarily feel the need to tell my entire class, oh, your teacher has brain cancer, you know, that wouldn't have been fair. So had a lot of angry students. The people who took my place did a great job and I'm sure they had great classes, but the students just weren't, but you know, you walk into a class, to, you know, and expect to see a teacher you had last semester and then she's not there. And some other person is there and they didn't deal very well with that. that, that, did that <laughs> a make, lot of emails. Did but. that make you feel good? In weird? a way, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, it made me feel good. But then I had to do some explaining. And I yeah. think at that point I realized I just have to be honest with everyone. I'm not going to be the type of person to hide it and say something's going on with me or something vague. I, I just said I have brain cancer. You know, it's the fact of the matter. And and then they were like, oh, God, uh, you know, it's terrible. And they felt terrible for, you know, being demanding of why, knowing, needing to know why I wasn't there. But, but anyway, I would like to be remembered as a teacher and a good mother to my pets, a good fur mom, and, of course, a good friend and, you know, someone who was there for other people and helped people get through life. Yeah. Well, I think you will definitely be remembered as those things. Good. I am glad. And a little I'm, sassy, too. I want to be remembered. I was going to say. And, a little, <laughs> and yes, and a little sassy. A little sassy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it has been really good having this yeah. conversation. Thank you for sitting down with me for this conversation. And listeners, I hope you learned something uh, from my friend. And take this knowledge with you. So thank you, Suzanne. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Expert Extra. For more information on our podcast and to find episodes, please visit Inside254Site, that's S-I-T-E dot WordPress dot com. You can find us on Podbean and iTunes, and please follow us on Facebook and Twitter for all the latest. Thanks for listening.